Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is uh, Muliwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into uh, something that's uh, fast becoming a theme um, on this platform, and that's the issue of how uh, small businesses can actually gain um, access to funding. Uh, that's been a long-running issue for small businesses in South Africa. We say that small businesses are engineers of growth and um, I think the last numbers that I saw was that there's roughly between 1.5 and about 2 million uh, small businesses around the country and um, more often than not one of the more common issues uh, that is faced you know is how do these businesses actually go about um, you know funding themselves there are a lot of um, you know channels out there but in certain cases some businesses don't know you know about uh, you know where to find the funding in certain cases um the the funding you know itself you know is a bit restrictive in terms of uh, the requirements that are needed to actually get um, money into people's businesses so to help us to look at this issue you know a little bit more and uh, looking at uh, the funding landscape and what's actually happening there um, and even talking issues around things like corporate capture we're joined today uh, by Justin uh, Justin Naidu who is the chief investment officer um, over at my growth venture partners justin greetings to you today thank you sir pleasure to be here um i think uh for us uh you know we've had uh, a couple of uh, a couple of people um from uh, my growth ventures i think we've spoken to lelani as well as vusi um yep. in the past yep. so we kind of have uh, an idea of you know what my growth fund you know is about and what's going on uh, but specifically um maybe um as we begin you could give us some insight into your specific role um at my growth fund just looking at what are you you know looking what are you looking after and what does uh, the role of a cio or a chief investment officer actually entail um you know from a my growth fund point of view yeah thank you for that warm introduction um and also the company i think uh, that's what we've got so radically different from the market in that the average uh, business needs uh, three pillars to succeed, and we break it down quite succinctly into skills, contracts of work, and then funding. Um, the South African market is still fragmented in that they're very, you know, you've got banks that don't provide proper funding mechanisms, and you've got very expensive retail funders. Uh, and then on the skills side, you've got incubators who don't really uh, get across the skills. And then you've got supply chains that aren't actually um, helping entrepreneurs in their in the firms that they find themselves in, my growth fund uh, venture partners have succeeded in developing a model that combines all three, um, very easily broken up into non-financial interventions. So that is my colleague Leilani. So stuff like incubators, skills transfer, skills development um, on that side, and I cover the other side. So financial interventions. So um, anything with, with regards to funding you know, in business um, across the spectrum from small business to a whole range of funds we are busy launching now to help improve South Africa. We call him the Patriot range of funds, extending to mezzanines, infrastructure, um, and just creating better fit-for-purpose financial models to be able to service the needs of the South African um, SME base. 
Um, and your thoughts just around uh, the funding landscape in South in South Africa? I think it's well documented at the at the moment uh, that uh, there are a lot of issues when it comes to funding small businesses, access to funding, um, access to growth capital, all of these um, different things that are out there. And um, at a time where uh, startups, for example, are absorbing billions of dollars around the world to grow to scale, um, the fact that this is an issue in South Africa, you know, sort of hints at the fact that it's probably impeding um, certain types of innovation um, to happen. So, you know, maybe you could give us your thoughts uh, just around that and where you see some of the holes. Yeah, I think we need to take a step back and look at the macroeconomic view, just uh, if you'll allow me, because, you know, uh, a big misnomer is that South Africa doesn't have the same amount of funds coming in. You know, obviously not the same in dollar amounts, but I would say the same proportionately as any emerging market. Um, if you look at it, the JSC is at all-time highs with, you know, us having crippling poverty, crippling crime, and, uh, you know, potholes the size of houses. If you take a step and you look back, um, we, we had our first interest rate hike uh, a day ago, 25 basis points. If you look at the macroeconomic picture, the RAND is one of the top three currencies traded against the dollar. So we're very much a supply-side currency, which means that we're the recipients of cheap dollars. So the Fed has been printing money for the last you know, 10, 12 years in perpetuity. So we've got a lot of cheap dollars seeking yield in emerging markets. Um, in the foreign, or in, sorry, in the, in the uh, mature markets like the US and Europe, the most you're going to get on your debt is 0 to 2% return on your, on your yield. But because South Africa's got such a, a high risk to reward ratio, uh, you can easily get 15 to 20% back out in even in dollar terms uh, when normalized. So, uh, and that's why it suits, you know, a lot of investors for us to be at the precipice of where we are, because our risk is great for emerging markets, but you can still get your money out, right? Compared to a Brazil or Venezuela or even a, a China um, so, you know, we, we, we uniquely positioned, but we are still the recipients of a lot of cheap dollars that come into South Africa. So to start off in that, you know, in the whole con- concept that there aren't any, you know, there aren't any funders seeking to place money in South Africa is completely wrong. There are plenty of funders looking to, to place money in South Africa, and there is a lot of money coming in. We can tell this by looking at various indicators on the stock market or various companies you know, we declare the amount they've got on the balance sheets. So that's the first point. So usually at a point like this, um, it's very easy to ask a question like, oh, but Justin, you know, how come people don't know about this money? How come um, there's uh, all of these issues? Why are small business owners crying about funding if there's access to all of these things, um, you know, access to, you know, the cheap dollars like you were talking about, you know, to say that there is a lot of money out there. Um, I'm sure there's probably people listening right now saying, Justin, what do you mean? You know, I've been looking for this funding. I've been looking for funding uh, and money to sustain my business, but you know, it just it just doesn't seem to be forthcoming. So it would be easy to ask that question. But instead of asking that, I'm going to ask: Do does that capital want to be found? That is a great question. So I think that the the people that initially place the capital do want it to be found. Because, you know, it needs to be found in order for them to get the return on the debt they've placed, right? So it makes sense if I'm placing money to South Africa, I want it to be used to get my debt, to get my margins back. 
but then you find often the people that are on the recipient side. So, you know, when I break this down sectorially for people, you go, how does money get into the country, right? Uh, depending on whether if it's uh, DFIs or NGOs or even private money, it's normally at a SOE level, like a DBSA or like an IDC level. And then it, you know, it filters down to now who's credible enough to take it off the DFI's hands, right? And then it goes down to the banking level or the big funds level. And then you get to a stage where the big funds don't want the funds to be found because they, quite frankly, are earning a lot of fees on the money uh, and, you know, interest revenue in the banks. And if you don't do a bad deal, you don't look bad. You know, the banks are trying, but the shareholder comes first and they're using archaic credit models based on you know, wood and mortar uh, infrastructure that they've had for the last 50 years. So there's very little innovation in that space. Um, so that's where it sort of dies. And I think what's needed is when we delve deeper, you'll see the need for partnerships and intermediaries that have the need to build in uh, 50 years worth of CapEx onto the pricing models and can go and have the reach and penetration that the banks don't have. Um, that's why you see, you know, the lengths of Standard Bank uh, pairing with the merchant capital or, you know, or various banks buying, you know, financial intermediaries or fintechs now to be able to reach into the formal economy, but also the township economy. But yeah, I regress. If you take it a step further up um, at those, um, shall I say, higher up stages, that most of these people don't want the capital to be found. And a very, a very small fraction of the capital that actually filters down to the right levels uh, is ve- is then available to be found and to be used? It's actually a very sad state of affairs that you'd you'd find a situation where people are providing um, capital like that, but um, you sort of have uh, parties in the economy or certain actors uh, that literally are working to 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 make sure that some of that capital isn't found, or at least make it harder uh, for people to 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 find that capital or for the capital to end up, um, you know, within the intended businesses or uh, for the intended purpose and i i'm not sure whether this ties in but i know that you know you you highlight something um you know uh, in some of your writings and all of that stuff about uh, a concept called uh, corporate capture and in within the south african uh, lexicon you know the word capture has uh, yes. <laughs> has taken on uh, yes, very yes, interesting yes. connotations you know so yeah. is this a similar type of capture you know that we're talking about in the corporate space and why is it an issue in South Africa? Yeah, look, so I use that word very cognizantly uh, because state capture uh, evokes very strong imagery and very strong emotional response in people, right? People are up in arm about you know, recipients of money from you know potential government entities and being taken offshore and that leading to basic services not being provided to you know, South Africans, it's, it's material. It affects all of us. It affects our GDP and it affects the quality of life. So my point is that if you delve into the economics of corporate capture and you look at the money that's on the table, it's the exact same thing. You know, when you look at the amount of money, it's almost um, ran for ran the same that's been, co- you know, colluded or hoarded by these fund managers. And, you know, it's not a case of hiding it. It you just make the barriers to access capital so much more difficult you know for example um a state or soe like the dbsa will have their 
in essence, a lending institution. So they've got to lend a certain amount of money per year, and only a certain number of institutional funds are credible or big enough to now accept that money. So they'll give it to Fund A, we'll take the money on, uh, on a drawdown basis, so they don't incur cost of capital until they've drawn it down to use it for projects. Uh, and then they can go and say, listen, we've got 500 million rand under management. But, and then, you know, um, most of the funds in South Africa are not fit for purpose for the average businessman because in South Africa, there's no differentiation between venture capital or private equity. So in any um, mature economy, venture capital is there for the startup. It's soft money. It's easy ca- covenants. It's a very easy handshake and train ride to get you from a theoretical idea to a profitable company, right? And then private equity is the domain of you've got a profitable company, you've got a proof of concept. How do we take you from turning over 10 million rand to 100 million rand in the next years? Obviously, that money comes with uh, a little bit more of an aggressive mandate, you know, a little bit more aggressive covenants to grow. In South Africa, you don't have that. The majority of fund managers that get money intended for small business in South Africa use private equity methodologies. I mean, if you just look at the ESD space, enterprise supply development, which is key to South Africa because the BE rules uh, necessitate putting spend back into your money. So, I mean, to put in spend back into your, your company. Um, if you look at these guys and you look at the amount of capital that there's probably about five or six ESD fund managers in the country. And if you look at the amount of money they've dispersed on actual financial interventions, it's about 10 to 15% of capital under management. So you've got to ask, uh, you know, what are you doing with the money? And for instance, I've had conversations with them and, you know, I go, why have you only done three working capital deals in the last two years? Um, or, you know, why your deal, why are your deals only private equity? And they go, you know, it doesn't meet my mandate, but you created that mandate. So it's, you've created a self-fulfilling prophecy or actual barriers to entry on purpose. Um, so that's very important to note that when you aggregate all of the money that's coming into the country and all of the money that is being kept away from the SMEs, um, it's almost criminal in nature. If you look at the, the multiplier effect of money, um, at a higher business level, if you take a company from 100 to 200 million, you're probably only creating two senior manager jobs, right? Um, and a multiplier effect of like maybe five or six times that effect on capital. But if you take that, that same capital and you put it into the SME framework, as in startups, you know, on the ground, you've got a 14x multiple return on your capital and you're creating exponentially more jobs. Um, in the first world economy, like the States, um, SME businesses account for 80% of all job growth and job creation. So you've got a fundamental problem where um, 67% of all new businesses never reach three years in maturity because they fell before that. Mm. You know, uh, it, the more you talk, the more that, you know, this uh, conversation just reminds me of uh, a a certain comment uh, that I heard recently because um, I was in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, people will know that Cape Town in South Africa is sort of like um, our Silicon, our version of Silicon Valley, lots of startups, um, lots of technology, innovation, etc. And um, I went to an event where there were a number of different startup founders and venture capitalists, etc. And I remember one gentleman saying, guys, the problem, this was, um, this was, uh, 
it was a venture capital. It's a guy who's trying to invest in local businesses. Came into the used to be in South Africa, went to the states, came back, and he was talking. It was two VCs talking uh, with each other, and the one VC says to the other, "You know what the problem in South Africa is? Is that South Africa does not have real venture capitalists." You know, you guys are not here to take risk. You are very risk averse. You just want safe bets. You are, you know, you'd rather, you know, do sort of these private equity things. You know, how are we meant to really grow the next Facebook, Amazon, uh, Google or Netflix if no one is really uh, willing to take the real risks of what it means to be venture capital. Very interested, Justin, to hear your thoughts on a comment like that based off of what you were saying just now. Yeah, 100% agree. Like I said, in South Africa, the venture capital industry is minute, if if it exists at all. I mean, all of the funds that I know of and I've spoken to and I've dealt with, I would consider private equity funds, not venture capital funds at all. I mean, even some of the deals, or you know, I still mentor and advise a lot of uh, entrepreneurs out there, and they're in essence having signed venture capital contracts. And when you look at it, they're not venture capital contracts. They're very hard private equity negotiated contracts in terms of how aggressive the deal structure is, in terms of the exit clauses, in terms of how soft the relationship is. You know, in week two, if you're not hitting your targets, you've already got uh, a meeting with the funders already and they're piping on your throat. So they, I agree with that completely. You know, there's, there's very little angel finance or investor finance or even capital at risk. Um, I think when we look at our historical background, people are very scared to invest in the country. They're very scared to invest in the people, even though we've got brilliant people. Um, you can, you know, extrapolate that further. And there is a thing to be said about socioeconomic, um, you know, lens as in, as in different races. Uh, if you look at the, the people that have successfully founded, you know, their startups, it's normally from your three, your, your, um, your three F's, you know, fa- fools, family or friends, right? <laughs> and that's normally with your higher LSMs that actually have access to family or friends that have money to be able to give them a million or two million um, to start up uh, a business, whereas people from the townships don't have access to that capital. So there is also a cultural, a racial and a gender lens to be added to that conversation as well. Um, one of the things that then comes up when you're looking at something like uh, angel um, investing, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you um, on the on the lack of angel investors because the people that do have deep pockets in this particular market, I've spoken to a couple of uh, the larger funds, they tend to only get in um, and start backing startups or start backing small businesses when a river new model is there when revenue is now coming in uh, to the door you know so you know that thing of ideation a person has an idea and they actually want to get it off the ground you know that space really seems as if it needs some type of transformation at the moment Uh, but when it comes to this debate um another piece that small businesses you know struggle with sometimes small businesses say you know what i'm not really looking for funding per se i just want to step i just want my foot in the door and most of the time they're just saying give me access to market and i wanted to bring the conversation back to a term that you used just now which was uh, enterprise supplier development Uh, because that is essentially meant to be that to say okay fine i'm not going to 
to fund your business directly, but as a big corporate, I'm going to insert you into my uh, supply chain. Right. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put you into my supply chain and you, you know, you can start, you know, taking in orders, getting favorable payment terms. You know, let's start building up. Let's help you to build up your businesses by giving you um, access to, you know, this group of customers, etc. Where do you think things are going wrong on that end? Well, so it's human nature to take the path of least resistance. Uh, it's number one, I just want to do my job and go on my one holiday and not uh, have my head under the axe for not performing in certain rules, right? Or, you know, meeting certain regulations. Uh, and that's where fiscal dumping comes across. So let me take a step back. Um, I spent a large part of my career in London. And when I got back, um, I, re- I was asked to help someone, you know, one of the banks I was working for at the time on the B sector. And then when I read the, the codes, I was like, how can we have a funding problem if you've got to put 3% of your NPAT back into your supply chain? I mean, that's that's a crazy amount of money. If you look at just the top 60 on the JSC, that's billions and billions of rands. But then when you go and you look at how the fund managers operate, so fund manager comes and says, okay, uh, mega corporation one, you know, your need is you need so many points to to be able to operate and interact with the government and the fellow market. We can give you your points. You give us the capital. We will deploy it for you, right? Um, and so this is what six or seven big fund managers do. And there's different industry bodies um, in the insurance sector, in different sectors that have, you know, bodies or foundations that mandate these funds to run it for them. Um, and when you look at it, um, the majority of these guys, they, they, the first thing, you know, I actually. I've presented to a lot of these boards and advised them as well. And the first thing they say is, how do we recognize our points? Or do I get my points this year? Um, and that's, you know, it's heartbreaking. And you can see, you can see the, the companies that are fiscal dumping. If you take the BE scorecards and you superimpose that with their ED, their ESD and the preferential procurement. So their enterprise development, the enterprise supply development and their preferential procurement, uh, points, right? Because they're buy points, the ED will be ticked, the ESD will be ticked. So that's companies outside of your ecosystem, companies inside of your ecosystem, and then preferential procurement, companies in your own supply chain. Um, and, you know, that's the heartbreaking fact is that you could be a really good uh, supplier or vendor in a really strong corporate supply chain, but still fail. I mean, these are the guys that you're supposed to, you know, have... Um, um, funneled into a net to say, okay, you guys, we trust you guys. We're going to give you contracts and we're going to help you grow. But sadly enough, because they're fiscal dumped money and they've got the points, there's no longer a need or urgency in order to to make a material difference to that preferential procurement. So the company ends up, you know, wasting 50 million rand because they put it on a black hole and it never reaches the right companies, um, whereas it could easily be solved. So I think you know one of the one of the aspects that needs to be looked in is see through to the actual disbursement of capital from these funds to underlying beneficiaries. If you look at these beneficiaries, most of the most of the benefit they receive from funds are stuff like incubators and accelerators. So they'll take a, por- a portion of the of the BE money they get in because a portion of that money has to come in as a grant or concessionary finance and stuff. So it's a very simple equation, right? I keep my money in the bank and I'll take my free money that I'm given 
and I use it in an incubator and accelerator to now get a lot of publicity and, sh- and, and you know, give my shareholders a really feel-good story and impart, you know, seemingly impart skills onto the end recipient. But what happens is the end recipient doesn't have a contract. So, you know, how are they supposed to succeed if they, if they you know, if they don't have a contract? Well, in many instances, you could be a qualified engineer and be painting the walls at an engineering firm, right? And they don't allow you to move up the supply chain to not get a proper engineering consultation. And then when they eventually get to that stage, they don't have the funding. So yet again, it's those three pillars that ESD is supposed to solve for, but it doesn't because the industry is so fragmented between your incubators and accelerators and then your very expensive merchant funders. So those three pillars of skill, um, work or contracts and funding just don't align in the market. Everything that you're saying, Justin, reminds me of uh, uh, because uh, you know I'm 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 a writer uh, for the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I remember one of the first articles I ever wrote in the Financial Mail. It was an investigation uh, about uh, you know business development support. Uh, that's oh, the yeah? term that we were using at the time. Yeah. And uh, with everything that you've just spoken about, um, I think this was back in 2018 into 2019. Um, and I remember at that time, um, they said that there was an interesting statistic that I found to say that uh, the business development support economy, if we're going to call it that, you know, is yeah. a 20 billion rand economy you know between service providers incubators business coaches and you know all of these different things but very little of that money actually ends up with the actual businesses themselves well the cost to income ratio on accelerator and i know this because you know i've had chats with people that actually run accelerators and incubators and they're very open about it because this is the nature of it right and i've done a lot of work with the enterprise development council as well the cost to income ratio on an incubator is 80 cents right so you know for every one round that comes in before i even start imparting skill to the beneficiary i've already spent 80 cents so the end value of that rand that goes to the beneficiary is 4 cents so that's minimal you know, that the, the actual skill transfer to the end beneficiary is minimal to start with. Um, and I mean, that's why we, that's why us at my growth fund venture partners break it down into non-financial intervention, because this is what I would classify as non-financial intervention. There's a time and place for it. And it's, you know, skills transfer is very much needed in the country, but also it has to be tied into financial intervention. You can't just give someone skills and not the opportunity to work on a contract and bring in income into that business and to that family. Um, and, you know, what's the use if you've just got an incubator and they leave and they've got no jobs? Um, it's a big problem. Certainly a big problem. Um, Justin, as we sort of round up this discussion, I want us to shift to the technology sector specifically, uh, because I know that as my growth fund, that's one of the sectors that you guys are very serious about. And uh, a lot of noise, um, you know, is being made um, about the Startup Act. I know that there's a steering committee. They recently met with the president um, and all that. Your thoughts just around how a piece of legislation like that could improve 
you know, the way in which some of our startups, which, you know, to compete um, with uh, others around the world needs need millions, if not billions of dollars in certain instances. You know, your thoughts just around how that uh, legislation like that could improve um, access to that type of funding for high growth uh, technology businesses. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say it's 10 years too late, right? I mean, the damage to the economy has been fast in the meantime. You know, having said that, I think it's good work. I've read the Startup Act. Uh, I know some of the players involved. Um, I think we need to differentiate the terminology in terms of legality and enforcement from regulation to legislation to actual government intervention. Because I've read a lot of the incentives and the directives and what they're trying to get out. And it, it's, it makes a lot of sense on paper. But to be frank, it's not, it's nothing new. It's not, it's not things people have tried to do in different fragmented approaches or even different bodies. I mean, there was a South African Technology Innovation Incubator Association, right? And that was government or CEDA mandated. And that achieved very little traction. So for in order for this to work, there has to come direct intervention, you know, from the highest levels of the presidency to enforce uh, this legislation, that it's not just legislation, but it's enforceable law that, you know, when you get, when you take your 3% uh, BE contribution, you're not just going to blindly give it to someone that's going to fiscal dump your money and not make a meaningful contribution to the economy, but they're going to take that money and they're going to invest it into underlying beneficiaries and create jobs with it as they promised, you know, so that's for me is the crux of it. There's a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of good, um, mentions of processes and resources and regulation that needs to be written um but it has to be pushed on from the highest levels and i think you know at some stage there's got to be punitive measures for the people that sit on cash and don't deploy you know you've got to go back uh, retroactively and say you've sat on this money for five years you've earned fees and you've done nothing with it you know how are you going to change and make this better and uh, have direct direct look through to the underlying SMEs and job creation. Yeah, that's actually uh, that's actually an interesting one, and uh, I I think that startup act could uh, could be an entire session, uh, you know, on its own, and hopefully um, over sure. time the 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 enforcement, you know, like you said, actually putting it down, making sure it becomes law, and then you know, giving that piece of legislation the teeth to be able to actually um, work as intended. You know, one hopes uh, that uh, we'll be able to get to that point. So on the last point, Justin, because um, I think we've spent a big part of today's discussion talking, um, you know, in a, in a somewhat uh, negative spirit because there are so many issues uh, when it comes to funding small businesses. Are there any green shoots, you know, for you? Any rays of light, any, uh, any pot of gold that the end of the rainbow anything that you know you can point at as saying okay fine in the funding landscape for small to medium um, enterprises in south africa at least a b and c is happening well i think i mean that's the reason why i'm in the country and i return from overseas because i'm extremely proud of our country and i'm extremely proud of the the people we have i think we have some you know brilliantly innovative and ingenuity uh skills driven people so there's no shortage of ideas, there's no shortage of talent, there's no shortage of businesses, uh, you know, shooting up. Um, if you look at the flow of funds, I'm particularly happy 
to push people in the direction of manufacturing, logistics, uh, any asset-heavy type of uh, jobs, I mean, industries that create jobs, because, you know, that's what we need now to make a direct difference into the lives of people. We need heavy asset-based companies to be able to have high workforces to be able to to create those jobs. I think we're always going to, you know, people always love tech. You know, we love tech as well because there's a great ability to improve functionality across the banking ecosystem and do things in a great way and, you know, save people money and just convenience. So there's always going to be an onus on that. And we've got a lot of talent there. But if you just look at, you know, what I would say, um, the green, the green fields as in climate change. So anything with the green lens. So I'm talking about solar. I'm talking about anything renewables, biomass. Um, and you, you just have to point to the money coming in from COP26, right? Uh, from President Ramaphosa that that's going to be a key. And also with the, with the very real threat of ESCOM going under, we've got some of the best sunlight irradiation on, on planet Earth, right? So for me, solar, renewables, uh, manufacturing, uh, logistics are great businesses to be in. So that's been us. So we're having, uh, you know, quite a wide-ranging discussion, uh, talking to uh, Justin Naidu, who is uh, the Chief Investment Officer over at My Growth Venture Partners, looking at uh, what the funding landscape in South Africa is looking like uh, for small, medium, and micro enterprises, uh, because this seems to be a big headache uh, for businesses uh, around the country. Uh, but one of the things that he highlights is to say that it's it's, sometimes it's not that there are no funds, uh, but it's just that uh, the funds are not reaching uh, the people, the intended targets, and the businesses that they are meant to. Uh, people are providing funds, but uh, there's this whole ecosystem of people and players um, that are either keeping the money from its intended target, or um, there is that, um, you know, I don't know whether to call it an apathy, uh, but people just doing tick box exercise type of uh, uh, type of things uh, that end up not really benefiting uh, the small businesses to whom the money um, is intended for and then also just talking about uh, you know the fact that when you look at that um, economy uh, of uh, of advice of uh, business incubation of uh, business development support all of that you there's a big disconnect uh, between um, between in certain cases, corporates uh, that are meant to provide that support versus uh, the small businesses that are meant to benefit on the other side. But he does say that uh, there are some good things going on, um, such as uh, the development of a Startup Act in South Africa, um, though a lot of that will depend on how it will be enforced um, and how it actually be executed for it to be um, effective. And also just talking about the fact that there are a couple of, uh, you know, industries and he would say that you know things like manufacturing logistics if we can get businesses to grow in those sectors um, it will do well because those are the type of sectors that do create jobs in the economy and also just saying that renewables is probably uh, renewable energy is probably a good place uh, for people to be investing in at the moment Justin thank you so much for being with us today thank you much This is Mudiwa's take.
Isn't it just sad and frankly ironic that we do exist in a situation where there is money that is available to go to to small, uh, medium and micro businesses in South Africa, one of the biggest pain points um, for such businesses. Yet, you know, we have an entire, I guess, economy um, of actors and players um, that work to either keep money away from people or make it harder uh, for the intended recipients or beneficiaries uh, to actually get um, access to some of that funding. And, uh, you know, going forward, it will be um, interesting to see how the space develops. And hopefully, you know, over time, we can get um, some of these restrictions reduced. Um, I remember the previous engagement we had with my growth fund um it must have been uh, lilania's I, I stand to be corrected you know on this point but i'm pretty sure that uh, she was talking about the fact that uh, financial institutions for example make it extremely hard um through their requirements for small businesses to gain access to things like loans and you know business um, you know business loans and you know the type of funding that would help them to grow and if we're going to say that small business businesses are engines of growth, uh, then we need to fuel the engine, you know, so that there can be that growth uh, because the vehicle itself can only move um, if there's fuel and the fuel is the money, um, so to say. So a lot really does need to be done um, in that space. And over time, one can only hope um, that uh, people in the in the, in the the business development support um, community slash economy do more to actually make sure uh, that funds end up uh, with the intended recipients one and then two the fact that uh, the mentorship and support to small business is actually given uh, so that that growth can happen we currently face um, the threat of inflation we face um, a situation where you know nearly one in two people um, are unemployed in the country so anything that can move the needle um, on these issues would be a step in the right direction And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Murio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.